routine. But for the next few weeks, uh, two weeks from today, we're going to start. And then for the next few weeks, we're going to have some ongoing discussion about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives and, and how we understand that. So uh, be here for that if you're at all able, okay? And I'll announce that again next Sunday. Okay. All right. And, um, uh, Thank you. We have uh, adopted this phrase as our theme for the year. We are being called to be the church. Uh, to not view church as a time slot or a building. We are the church, and we are called to be the church, to represent Christ in our world. Over the past few weeks, we have focused on the fact that this means that, in Paul's words, we are ambassadors for Christ, that we are ambassadors for Christ, that we are ministers of reconciliation, that this is what God has called us to be. We are gospel carriers. We are begging people to be reconciled to God. Uh, the ministry of reconciliation has been committed to us. I've said this uh, a number of times. I'll say it one more. It is a divisive world. It's a world full of division. Now, we can't build bridges with sin and with error, but we can build bridges of relationship that give us an, an entrance into people's lives in which we can make the gospel primary and deal with other differences later. Right? It's the gospel that is primary. This is our primary mission as followers of Christ to go into the world and to make disciples. Uh, and so we are ambassadors for Christ and we are ministers of reconciliation. Over the past, uh, the, the, recent, uh, the recent few weeks, we have been looking at the fact that being the church means that we are not uh, uh, governed by a spirit of fear, but that we have been given a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Uh, power and of love and of a sound mind. Last week, I think, was an important message. And by the way, uh, men, those of you that, uh, that may or may not be planning on attending this, uh, this, this uh, uh, next men's breakfast, uh, this topic is going to come up again in this men's breakfast. Um, uh, we're going to have an opportunity to hear from our brother Josh Leininger and his line of work. And he's going to share some of his expertise with us on, on what it means to minister to people that are not healthy in their minds and in their emotions, that have needs in these areas. Um, uh, and and uh, this, is, this is something that he has been doing with his life for many years. Uh, and he's going he's gonna to address this subject to us, uh, with us in, in our men's breakfast. So a second plug for the men's breakfast this morning. Um, but we have not been given a spirit of fear. We have been given a spirit of, a, of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we've been looking at that over the last uh, number of weeks. Last week, at the end of, of looking at what it means that God has given us a spirit that is a spirit of a sound mind, we took some time to pray for one another. We took some time to pray for one another. And I encourage you to do something that 
I don't know what your background, I don't know what all of your backgrounds are. I don't know how common this is for you all. But I, I encourage you to do something that I want to address specifically this morning. In fact, I don't think, I, I cannot remember that I have ever addressed this specifically in all my years of ministry. I know I've mentioned it. Um, I, it's probably been a mention in a message somewhere. But I know I've never taken an entire Sunday to address this issue, uh, uh, this, this Christian practice. And as I, as I sat back throughout the week, I kind of, kind of cocked my head and did one of those, huh, to myself, you know, those, so what's the matter with you, you know? <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind, of, kind of weird, you know? Um, wonder why you never thought to, to address this uh, at least once before. Um, well, I'm going to remedy that this morning. Uh, I would like you to turn again to 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is the scripture, uh, verse 7 is that scripture. We've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, sound mind. So we've been reading 1 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7 for several weeks now. I want to just read verse 6 one more time this morning. 2 Timothy 1, verse 6. And for this reason, I remind you, to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Kindle, kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So there's that theme of the Holy Spirit, the gifts that God has given to his people. That'll be Sunday school material. But this morning, I want to focus on the significance of laying on of hands. The laying on of hands. Um, it's a strange thing. It, it, it would be tempting to think of laying on of hands as a kind of a secondary or a trivial matter. Um, why make a big deal about whether we lay hands on people or not? What's the big deal? except for the fact that there happens to be an awful lot of scripture <laughs> that relates to this. There's, it's, it's one of those things that is actually surprising. If you pulled out your concordance and you looked up the laying of hands, I, I think that you would be surprised to find out how many times it's mentioned in scripture. How many times this practice is uh, comes into play in Scripture, especially in the New Testament. And in fact, there's one Scripture that I think is surprising above all that I, that I want us to take a look at here in just a second. It would be tempting to think of this matter as a secondary or a trivial matter, but look at what it says in, in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Okay, Look at Hebrews 6, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the element
sense of sometimes you have to move away from it in order to add to it, in order to build on it, right? That this is our foundation and and we have built into the Christian faith a practice like Holy Communion, which reminds us of the elementary teaching about Jesus over and over and over again. And it's important for us to have that reminder. But we need to press on to maturity. We need to press on to maturity. There's other things that we need to learn and grow in in our Christian faith. So he says, leaving the elementary teaching about, about the Christ... Let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of. And so what he's going to give us is a list of elementary doctrines, basic things that all Christians should know. And, and what he's going to say is that we should then, having these things firmly in place, and we all understand them, these are the elements, then we're going to move on to build on them. Look at the list of elementary doctrines that he lists. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Of instruction about washings. Laying on of hands. In other words, I consider this to be an elementary doctrine. That all believers should be quickly instructed in and then we can move on. Laying on of hands. The resurrection of the dead. And eternal judgment. Wow, what a list. Basic doctrines that the writer of Hebrews considers should be accessible, knowable, quickly, quickly imparted to all believers. And then from there on, we move on to maturity. We move on to growing in other doctrines, right? Now, let me just run through the list again real quickly. The elementary doctrines. The doctrine of Christ. Not laying again... Uh, this foundation, the doctrine of Christ. Um, I mean, listen, nobody's going to, uh, no Christian should end, underestimate the importance of the doctrine of Christ, right? I mean, this is a foundation that needs to be laid. But having been laid, the writer of Hebrews says there's other things that we move on to. He says, repentance from dead works. Now, these, these are, let me just link these two for a second, because it's an interesting thing. The New American Standard says, uh, doctrine, says the doctrine of the Christ, of the Christ. Why does it say that? It's because in the language in which the writer of Hebrews was writing, it's the word Messiah, and he's writing to Jews. The the. The premise of the book of Hebrews is this. There was a group of Jewish believers. And, and the writer of Hebrews has reason to be concerned that they might be getting pulled back into Judaism. They might be being pulled back away from Christ and toward Moses. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to keep them focused on Christ. He wants to keep them focused on Christ. And so he starts the book. The, the first few chapters are a proclamation of the supremacy of Christ. Christ is greater than the angels. He is greater than Moses. He is greater than... And it's this, this series of teachings about the superiority of Christ above all others. And now he gets to chapter 6 and says, listen, 
we've got a, we, we have laid this foundation of the doctrine of the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he's above all else. He's above everyone else. We need to move on from this forward, not go back, not, not, not be pulled back away from the superiority of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. Having laid this foundation, we should be moving forward. And so, by the way, he says, this doctrine, this basic doctrine of the repentance of dead works, of dead works. Now listen, he's writing to a Jewish audience. And if you remember, the whole book is about the fact that, that animal sacrifices cannot do for your conscience what the sacrifice of Christ does. That, that Christ's work is unique and that all the practices of the Old Testament in the, in, the, in the temple and the tabernacle were pictures and shadows, the words that, that the writer of Hebrews uses, of the reality, the fulfillment that came in Christ. Right? So you ask yourself, what's he referring to when he says repentance from dead works? I mean, there's a perfectly good word you could use if all you're talking about is sin. Repentance from dead works. The idea would be something, how many of you agree we need to repent from sin? Amen? You sin, you repent. Right? But here, part of the point is that there are dead works. There are things that are no longer necessary to the Christian faith. Going to the temple and offering a sacrifice is no longer part of the deal. They've been offered. That's a dead work. It's an empty work. Right? Throughout the New Testament, these, these, these major work-oriented practices that were such a big deal under the Old Covenant get taught in a different way. Circumcision, nothing. Saying that circumcision is nothing to a Jewish mind is outrageous because it was the primary sign of their covenant along with Sabbath-keeping. It's nothing. What we're looking at in the Christian era is a circumcision of the heart, the putting off of the flesh, the putting on of the new man. The physical act of circumcision is insignificant now. It's a dead work. It's unnecessary, right? It's a, it's a profound statement about what has happened through Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing to these Jews, and he's saying to them, don't go back to this stuff that is that is no longer significant to us, no longer needful to us, you must stay focused on Christ. You must stay focused on Christ. And so his, his list, the doctrine of Christ, primary, repentance from dead works, turn away from dead works, necessary, of washings, plural. How many remember Old Testament instructions about washing things, right? Well, you've got leprosy or you've got an outbreak of mold or mildew in your home. There's a whole process you've got to go through to clean it and to purify it. And the, the, the idea here seems to be that in the new covenant, we've got one washing. We've got baptism. And the doctrine of all those washings in the old covenant is summed up in the doctrine of baptism in the New Testament. And so we ought to understand what washings were all about and what they mean for us as New Testament believers. These were the pictures of the baptism that was to come. And so, 
Uh, and so we have stepped into a new era in which we understand the washings in a new way, right? We see them in a new context. And then he adds the laying on of hands, the laying on of hands. So what's fascinating about this is that there are these concepts that would have been familiar to the Jews, concepts like washings, that the writer of Hebrews says, here's what we should understand about this in the New Testament. And this doctrine of the laying on of hands also needs to be understood. And indeed, it has a place. We understand it as New Covenant believers. And, and as New Covenant believers, we should understand what the laying on of hands was all about. We should have an understanding of what the significance of this is. It's a basic doctrine. We get it. Let's move on. Let's move on. Laying on of hands. Resurrection of the dead. Well, there is a resurrection of the dead. What do you want me to tell you? Everyone's going to rise from the dead. The wicked, the righteous, they're all coming back to life. And there's going to be an eternal judgment. Every soul that's resurrected is going to spend eternity somewhere. And there's a doctrine of eternal judgment that needs to be paid attention to. I want to focus on this morning the doctrine of the laying on of hands. And I want to do so for a specific reason this morning. I'll get to that in just a second. Notice that the laying on of hands, which was an important Jewish practice, was taught because it carried over into the New Covenant era. It had a New Covenant application. It was legitimate for it to be practiced in a particular way. But it was so basic that the writer of Hebrews was assuming that everyone would be quickly instructed in this, especially if you were a Jew. You would be, this would be familiar territory for you. You would say, hey, this, what does this mean for me as a New Covenant believer? How do I practice this as a New Covenant believer? They would have been instructed in how to practice this, and they, would, they were encouraged not to abandon this basic doctrine, a doctrine that would have carried over for them, very simply. So it's important for us to understand that the laying on of hands should be recognized in, in a specific way. And I want to use this terminology this morning. I, 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 I've used it before. I hope that it will be terminology that will become familiar to you, that will become useful to you, okay? Let me set the stage by saying this. We should view the laying on of hands as a means of grace. As a means of grace. What do I mean by a means of grace? Um, let me throw three sentences up here that you can take a look at. What do we mean by a means of grace? Let me explain them this way. The church has used this phrase to to indicate this. A means of grace refers to activities, ceremonies, and functions that God uses to give more grace to us. Now, what do we mean by that? We don't mean by that to make us more saved. Like, well, believing in Jesus the moment you were saved wasn't enough. You need more grace to stay saved. But I will say this. Um, how many of you know that you need a certain grace for every day? A gift of God's goodness to you, of strengthening to you, and that, and that we are supposed to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? There's a growth in grace that needs to take place in our lives. 
God has provided for us certain activities and certain ceremonies and certain functions that He uses to give more grace to us. To give more grace to us. So I already mentioned one this morning. I encourage you to do a lot of singing this week. Because there's something about singing. Listen, um, God, has, God has given us His Word. How many thank God for His Word? How many of you know that in the reading of God's Word, there is a ministering of grace to your life? There is a strengthening of your faith that happens, a daily food that nourishes your soul, that strengthens your spirit. It is God infusing your life with a gift of grace that enables you to serve Him that day. Man, I'll tell you what, if you go a day or two without food, you'll start feeling it. You can't work as hard as you would without food to eat. Food is a, could, can be viewed as a grace for daily work. And the Word of God is a grace for daily living. It's a strengthening, a nourishing of us for daily living. The issue is this, there are lots of means of grace. There, there are numerous ways that God ministers grace to us. Let me just throw out one more since I gave the announcement earlier. Please take part in the fellowship groups because fellowship is a means of grace. You ever been around other believers and just the fact that you were with them made you want to be a better Christian? You left strengthened, encouraged. Something that they said gave life to you, convicted you encouraged you. It's a means of grace, spending time with other believers. We were not designed to walk through life alone. You were put in a family for a reason. You were saved and put into the body of Christ for a, for, for a reason. And we truly and deeply need one another in the body of Christ. The body of Christ is a grace to us. It ministers the life of God to us. There's, there's so many ways. I mean, listen, God is so generous. He is so generous. It's not surprising that he has lots of means of grace. He wants to give grace to you. He's a generous God. And man, he has provided so many ways for us to receive grace from him. So many ways. Means of grace. Here's another way of looking at it. A means of grace is a way in which the Holy Spirit works to convey blessings into the life of a believer. It's a way that the Holy Spirit works to convey blessings into the life of a believer. He uses means of grace to accomplish this. How does the Holy Spirit bless us? He does so through means of grace through establishing certain things in our lives through which He can add blessing to our lives. Through which He adds blessing to our lives. Fellowship is just another really easy one to point to, right? He is a step, why? Because the Holy Spirit speaks to us and strengthens us and encourages us through fellowship through one, with one another. These are ways that He has provided to minister grace to us. That is to convey blessings to our lives. Third, third sentence, a means of grace is any practice within the fellowship of the church that God uses 
to give more grace to Christians. So I put this one up there for this reason. There are some means of grace that he, that he uses that are purely individual, that you don't need anybody else for. You can have your devotions, your quiet time all by yourself. And that's a means of grace to you. But we were not designed to be lone rangers. There are corporate means of grace. There are fellowship means of grace. Means of grace that come to us only in a larger setting beyond ourselves. It really is not good for man to be alone. It is really not good. Means There are certain means of grace that only come to us in the corporate setting, that only come to us in fellowship with other believers. Well, can I just say that I guess you can lay hands on yourself. But there's not one example in Scripture of anyone who ever laid hands on himself or herself. <laughs> That's always something that one person does for another. Always. It's a fellowship means of grace. It's something that is practiced because God ministers His grace to us when we practice this together. All right? Let me run you through three last points real quickly. Applications of the laying on of hands. Applications. What do I mean by application? I mean, how do we see this function? In what applications did people lay hands on one another in Scripture? Well, here's the first one. They did so to pronounce blessing over each other. If the only time you lay hands on your children is to discipline them, God forgive us. Lay hands on them to bless them. I don't mean just hug them. Hug them. But you know what? You know, those, those times... Listen, can I, can I do this in the most human least spiritual means possible. You know, you walk past one of your children and you put a hand on their shoulder and you just say, you know, you're a blessing to me. You know, I love you. You know, you're a good girl. You are pronouncing a blessing upon their lives. And I got to tell you this, there is something profound that happens when a child is touched by someone ahead of them, bigger than them, and a word of grace is spoken over their lives in that moment, we forget the power of blessing sometimes. You know that old rule? Uh, Ten times as much encouragement Ten parts encouragement to one part correction. You know, as a general rule, encouragement is more transformative to people's lives than correction is. In a very real sense, in the lives of people like our children, I don't want to get like weird about this. But there's a way in which we speak into existence those things which are not yet. <laughs> By the blessings that we proclaim over people's lives. 
because we are helping to build an identity in them that defines them in specific ways. The power of blessing is something that we need to be reminded of. The power of a blessing, of someone blessing us. We see it in Genesis 48. Interestingly, we see it in Matthew 19. When, they, when, when Jesus said, let the little children come to me, we're told specifically that he laid hands on them and he blessed them. Now, I'm going to have fun for one second. One of, the, one of the thoughts that has occurred to me over the years is, I wonder what those kids' lives turned out to be. I wonder what they became. I wonder if only there was a story of one of those kids. I wonder what Jesus' blessing resulted in in the lives of those kids. He laid his hands on them and he blessed them. And he blessed them. Man, I wish I knew the rest of that story. Where's Paul Harvey when you really need him? Right? I guess that's what heaven is for. I hope to find out. So it's used for blessing. Both New Testament and Old Testament, we see examples of this. It was used for healing. It was the most common method of healing. Jesus used several varieties. He didn't even have to be physically present in some cases. Sometimes he did some right weird things. Sometimes he spit in the ground and made, made clay and rubbed it on people's eyes. Me, being the shkivats person that I am, I would have said, you know, just lay your hand on me. That'll, that'll work, you know? Um, I wouldn't really. I, I, I think I would have, whatever it takes, you know? But, but you get the idea. The most common way Jesus healed people was laying hands on them. The most consistent way, he would lay hands on them and say, be healed. And by the way, because of that example, it was what the disciples did throughout the, books of, through the book of Acts. When they prayed for healing, they laid their hands on people. They laid their hands on them and asked God to heal them. That's what they practiced. The laying on of hands, for whatever reason, seems to have been a significant part of the equation. We see it used in the New Testament for commissioning. Acts chapter 6, verse 6, and Acts chapter 13, verse 3. When, when, when a fellowship commissioned a person into a, into a position of ministry, they would lay hands on them and commission them for the work that God was sending them out to do. It was a commissioning time. Um, by the way, can I just say that, that the commissioning of the local fellowship of believers matters, and it matters a ton. We've got these denominational things going on these days, and i got to tell you that when I was ordained, the people that were ordaining me knew almost nothing about me. Almost nothing about me. But what they did have to do was get letters of recommendation from the fellowship that I was a part of, from those who were in authority over me. And I will never forget the pastor that I was working under at that time taking me aside and saying to me, this is your letter of recommendation. 
It's going to the district office recommending your ordination. Don't ever make me look bad. I'm standing behind you. I'm putting my reputation on the line for you. You know why? Because up close and personal, that kind of commissioning is important. When somebody you know says, I can lay my hands on you and recognize the gift of the Spirit that is in you and speak over your life and say, this person, this person is being sent forth to this work to which God has called them. That matters. That matters. That really matters. Commissioning. The last way it was used was in, in relation to the Holy Spirit. To the receiving of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking about that in Sunday school, so I'm not going to talk about that now. But there's a list of scriptures in which people laid hands on others and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Or, this gift of the Holy Spirit is yours by the laying on of hands. Right? That this was a significant part of, of believers and the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of those believers. We'll talk about that more in the weeks to come. These are some of the applications. These are the ways that the laying on of hands were used in the New Testament. For blessing, for healing, for commissioning, and in relationship to the role of the Holy Spirit in the lives of, of other believers. All right. Real quickly, applying the laying on of hands. I just need to mention this real briefly because this is just one of those facts. I have an NIV, and I use it from time to time. But you need to know that the NIV has edited out the laying on of hands in most scriptures. The way, they, the, way the NIV translates things, they will say that they were given a gift of healing or something like that, that they were used in a work of healing. Um, they take the idea of the passage, when someone lays hands on someone for the sake of healing, they don't translate it literally that there was a laying on of hands, they say there was an act of healing. Not every case. The, the NIV does in some instances mention the laying on of hands. But in many of them, the original text which says they laid hands on them, it's just kind of generalized as there was an, a miracle of healing that was done. It gets generalized. You won't get the full effect of the importance of the laying on of hands in that particular version. I have never, I think there's only one other time I've said something like that about a translation. I, I am not a King James only guy. They all have their place. They all are useful in a variety of ways. So, but I just wanted you to know that in advance as a, as a, as a just something to be aware of. Um, uh, don't go burn your NIVs. Please don't take to social media talking about the great Satan, the NIV. Don't. That's not my point. Don't, don't do that, okay? Um, for you to be aware of. Applying this. In Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 30, it's important to recognize that those early disciples recognized that their hands didn't have any power in it at all. And so what they said was, would you stretch forth your hand, O God, so that through us might be done? In other words, they recognized that before they could lay their hands on anybody, it had to be God laying his hand on them first. 
had to be God laying his hand on them first, that that was absolutely necessary. So the early church practiced this, but they recognized that there was no magic in their own laying on of hands. It had to be that God had enabled them, that God's Spirit had empowered them, and that they were acting as His emissaries with the laying on of hands, because when they laid their hands, it would be God's hand laid on that person, not theirs, right? That that the glory belonged to God, that the power to do the work belonged to God. That's why they would heal someone, and then when they got the prayer, it wasn't us, it was the name of Jesus that did it, right? It's not us the name of Jesus. Let me just say really quickly, by way of application, commissioning should not be done quickly. That's what Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.22. Don't lay hands on someone suddenly. It's don't lay hands on them quickly. You better get to know them a little bit first. Don't jump on that bandwagon really fast. Right? Take some time. Make sure you know the work of God's Spirit in their lives. Make sure you know their commitment to Christ. Don't commission them quickly. Don't commission them quickly. The last thing to note in applying this is this. I've already alluded to this earlier. But presence and physical touch are powerful, and they are personal. They express care for the person involved, and they're appropriate. So let me just say this. Don't ever do anything you're not comfortable with. Don't feel pressured into it. But can I just say this, this way? You know, there's some times when we're going to have prayer for someone, and we'll say, hey, would all you men gather around this brother and lay hands on him? We're going to pray for him. But sometimes, sometimes it's quicker and easier just to say, if you're sitting around that person that raised their hands, lay your hands on them. And can I say this as openly as possible? It doesn't matter if it's a male or a female. Could we, could we just for a second, acknowledging there's wisdom and that there's safety in doing things a certain way, could we all just say that to the pure, all things are pure? And if we are really viewing each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, it ought not be a scary thing for three people to lay hands on you, and if you're female, if it happens to be that two of them are men and one's a woman, it really is okay. And if you're a man, it's, I mean, it's really okay. If our hearts are pure before God, these are just not issues. At all. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Lay hands on them and pray over them. Lay hands on them. You ever known some people that were too touchy-feely? All right, the message to them would be take your hands off them. (laughs) Too much. I can say, you know, we Italian people, we, some of us are, I got to tell you this, there was a family in the church that we, when we'd come, when we'd be in the States, there was a family in the church that their practice was to kiss everybody when they greeted them on the lips. <laughs> on the lips. Everybody. Pre COVID. 
I don't know what they do anymore. <laughs> but they kissed everybody on the lips. Not recommending that course of action for us. <laughs> Illustrating too touchy-feely, okay? But my brothers and sisters, when we're called to be the body of Christ, we ought to be able to lay hands on one another in purity of heart and actually be brothers and sisters. There ought not be ridiculous hang-ups. And if it's not something that can be done with purity, purity of heart, get on your knees and ask God to clean our hearts. To clean our hearts. Amen? To make us clean before him in our hearts and in our minds so that we can participate fully in the body of Christ. Why? Because it's powerful. It's powerful to know that someone's with you. It's powerful. You know, I can remember times in my life I don't know what circles you grew up in, but in the circles that I grew up in, sometimes I, I found myself down at the front of a church on my knees at an, at an altar, we used to call it. And I remember a few times being there with a heart that was so heavy that all I could think to myself was, I wish someone would come lay hands on me. I would give just about anything for someone to come lay hands on me right now and pray for me when I don't have the energy to pray for myself anymore right now. Could someone come pray for me? There is something so powerful about a loving hand on your shoulder that then starts to lift you before God. My brothers and sisters, it is a powerful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So here's what I close with. I'm calling this the key to the laying on of hands. And it's this. We lay hands on each other because there's prayer involved. In every case, a blessing is a pronouncing of the mind of God over that person, pronouncing their good. A commissioning is a prayer of sending and anointing. The Holy Spirit is a is a Spirit of God gift this person. And healing is a cry to God that He would touch and restore that which is broken. In every case of the laying on of hands, people are praying for one another. In every case, it's praying for one another. If we understand the laying on of hands properly, what we know is that it's something we do when we pray with one another. Now, not every time we pray together do we have to do this. But every time you lay hands on someone in this way, there should be prayer going on. It should be an understanding that we are lifting this person before God, that we are praying for one another, that we are seeking blessing for them, that we are seeking healing for them, that we are asking, that we are, that we are commissioning them, or that we, are, that we are invoking the Holy Spirit's presence in their lives in some specific way. While we are remembering that while our involvement is important, it's only God that can do in their lives what is needed to be done in their lives. That there's nothing magical about these hands. That what we are doing is in God's place being ambassadors 
and ministers. Laying on of hands, God, touch them. Touch them. I want to say this very quickly. Praying for people is an art form. And let me ask you to be very thoughtful in the way that you pray for people. You know, when you pray for someone, you're talking to God. You're not sending that person messages. Don't preach to people under the guise of praying. Don't correct people under the guise of praying. Amen? Don't speculate when you're praying. Do your best to ask for things on behalf of people that you know God in His Word has said He wants for people to receive. And please remember this. Most times you've given the opportunity to pray for someone, it's because they have a heavy burden on their heart and the last thing they need is for someone to add to their burden while they're praying for them. So pray nice. Pray edifying. Pray encouraging. Pray uplifting. Amen? These are not trivial matters. There are times to reprove and rebuke and exhort. But when someone's heart is burdened and heavy and broken, they need a hand on them that loves them and that will pray for them. That will pray them up and out. <laughs> Not bury them. Does that make any sense? Let's pray for the good of our brothers and sisters. Let's, let's pronounce... Man, I'm sounding... I sound whatever like I'm sounding tonight. It's just a good time to pray blessing over each other. Lord, comfort this person's heart. Strengthen them. Heal them. Provide for them. Right? To pray blessing over one another. Pray, pray blessing over one another. There's something powerful about the laying on of hands. There's something profound about it. It's part of it. It's part of being in a family. It's part of being in a family. Um, and according... Sorry. Did I? There we go. How we pray matters and petitioning God on behalf of others for what only God can give them is what we're doing here. I just felt it necessary. Why? Because Paul, writing to Timothy, talks about the fact that when Timothy was commissioned, there was a gift of the Spirit given to him through the laying on of Paul's hands. This issue was obviously something that was understood in the early church as part of the common, common practice. And the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that it was an elementary doctrine. Simple. Basics for Christians to practice. And yet somehow these things get edited out of our practice. Sometimes it's cultural. We just don't invade each other's space bubbles like that. 
Some of us have never been in environments where a whole lot of public prayer was a part of the equation. For some of us, it's not comfortable to pray around other people. I want to encourage us to think of ourselves as a family in which laying on of hands and praying for one another is ordinary. You know, I hope there comes a day, and I mean this with all sincerity, when you leave the upstairs and you, this is very inconvenient in this building. This is a little building. Have I told you before, if we ever get a fire, please respond slowly? <laughs> um, I know I joke around about that a lot, but I hope there's a day when you walk downstairs to get a cup of coffee and you realize when you come around the corner that everyone's quiet for a reason. And it's because over in one corner, there's a brother who has a hand on a brother. And someone has said, can you pray for me? Or someone was sharing a need with someone else, and that person looked at him and said, can I pray for you? And that everyone else says, let's walk lightly for a minute while this ministry takes place. It's not a set time in the service where everybody has to do it at a, only that this is just what it means to be a family, that we're sensitive to one another's needs. We offer, can I pray for you? And that it's expected when we pray that we're going to put a hand on someone's shoulder and just say, okay, God. Last thing I'm going to say about this is this. Let me encourage you, the next time you have opportunity to do this, to take, take 10 seconds before you start to pray, lay your hands on the person's shoulder, and quietly, in your own heart, before God, just say this. Dear God in heaven, I am so limited in what I know. Spirit of God, help me to pray. Spirit of God, lead me to pray. Empower my prayer today. Because the Spirit prays through us. And when He does, it's meaningful. Amen? Amen. Would you bow with me this morning? So, I mean, hey, what else can I do today? Is there anybody that wants hands laid on them this morning? You got a burden on your heart that you'd like someone to pray for or pray with you? I'm not, I mean, I'm not just whistling Dixie. I actually mean this. It's not a formality. Anybody? Thank you. So they didn't ask for it. But could a couple people lay hands on the Yosiaks and let's just lift, let's lift John before the Lord, their son John. Could we lift him before the Lord right now? Anybody else? Yeah, we saw a couple folks around there lay, lay hands on Denise, right? Lay hands on Denise. Anybody else this morning? I'm sorry. Hey, thank you. That's a great thought. Bria is starting to teach Wednesday. Hey, we have some helpers. I, I know that uh, Jonna, I don't think Jonna, is Jonna downstairs? I don't think they are. Okay. Um, Cora, is Cora, you can be helping with this as well? I didn't even know that. I think that's pretty awesome. 
Can we lay hands on those that are going to be ministering to our children that are just starting off? Thank you, Noel. Could we lay hands on Cora? Could we lay hands on Bria and just ask the Holy Spirit to use them as they start, in, start a new ministry on, on Wednesday nights? Let's lay hands on them and ask the, ask the Lord to bless them. So we did this last week. We don't have to be loud. We don't have to be disorderly. But, but again, let me encourage you to be comfortable with the sound of your own voice. The, the issue is not to create a confusing, confusing environment, but it's just a blessing to hear people pray. It encourages the heart to hear God's people pray. So just for, for 60 seconds, those of you that are, you might not have your hands on somebody, but let's pray. You can pray for, for John being deployed. I don't know what Denise's need. You can pray for Denise. You can pray for these that we are commissioning to, to serve in ministering to our children. Let's just take a second to lift these that we're laying hands on this morning before the Lord. And then we'll close in prayer together in just a moment. Let's pray for them this morning. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just want to thank you for this privilege of praying for one another and of hearing each other's voices lifted before you in prayer. Thanking you, Lord, this morning for being part of a family, part of the family of God. Lord, I am so grateful to you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. So thankful, O oh Lord, that we have the privilege of walking life together. Lord, you are, you are so good to us to set us in families, and to give us the opportunity to bless one another. So, Lord, I just, I just ask that you would help us to do this well. Lord, that you'd help us to do this well. Lord, touch John with the power of your Holy Spirit today, I pray. Lord, in all the exuberance that he feels as a young man to this work that he's been given, Anoint him by your spirit, O Lord, to witness to his fellow servicemen and servicewomen. Lord, let him carry the presence of God everywhere he goes with him, O Lord, bringing a light into every dark place that he walks into, Father. 
Lord, touch Denise with the power of your spirit. Whatever the need is in her life, Lord, I pray that you would come to her with encouragement, that you would strengthen her heart, that you would bless her, that you would supply for her, that you would help her. Lord, for Bria, for Cora, for Jana, Lord, right now they represent a host of others that serve our body in ministry, Lord. Would you anoint them by your spirit? Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would not be tempted to fall prey to the idea that it's just, it's just an activity, or it's, but Lord, that they would understand they're speaking life, words of life into young, impressionable hearts and minds, that they are discipling people in the faith. And Lord, I pray that you would make their work effective, and I pray that through them, as well as through parents and the other ministries of our fellowship, Lord, you would raise up a generation that would be faithful to you and would not fall prey to the temptations of this world, but that would be rooted and grounded in their faith because they've had the word of God spoken to their lives. Pray that you'd bless them. Lord, give us a tremendous comfortability with asking for prayer and with praying. And give us, Lord, the willingness to lay hands on one another and encourage one another. And pray powerfully in the name of Jesus over each other. We ask that you would use us, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And teach us to pray spirit-empowered prayers. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you for praying. Thank you for praying. May the Lord, may his presence go with you throughout this week. God bless you all.